You're listening to Shot Callers with Kyle Brandon and Joe Micucci, part of the 48 Minutes Podcast Network. Hey, what is going on, everybody? Welcome into part two of the Shot Callers trade deadline special on the 48 Minutes Basketball Network. I am Joe Micucci, as always, joined by my buddy Kyle Brandon and Kyle, the trade deadline is officially donezo. We we've made it through another hectic Thursday afternoon, and uh, there was some movement today. A lot of movement, actually. Yeah, there sure was. It feels like uh, it feels like we were kids on Christmas, and we opened up all of our presents, and we have them all laying there. And now we kind of get a look at all of our presents, see what we got. And kind of go through them all. So uh, I think that's what we're about to do. Yeah, and I, I love that analogy because it really does feel like the NBA world got the present we were all asking for really since game six of the Eastern Conference semifinals. Ben Simmons was finally traded today. Ben Simmons was uh, traded to the Brooklyn Nets. Actually, it was a uh, full-on package, the Nets received Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, and two first-round picks, an unprotected 2022 first-rounder and a protected 2027 first-round pick. In return, the Sixers get James Harden and Paul Millsap. And James Harden, important part here, has already decided to opt in to his $47.3 million player option for next season. Kyle, what are your initial thoughts? What was your reaction to the trade finally getting done yeah it felt like a weight was kind of lifted off our backs as nba fans uh something that we've felt for a really long time these two need to be separated uh being joel Embiid and ben simmons i'm a fan of both of them to be honest i have uh i have ben simmons merch i have joel Embiid merch um i just i like both of these dudes but it's obvious that it wasn't going to work out playing with each other this whole, you know, last six months or so, we've been saying over and over again, Daryl Morey, what are you doing? It's frustrating. You're being an idiot. And today we find out that Daryl Morey was right and his patience paid off. And it's probably a good thing that he didn't bite on CJ McCollum or De'Aaron Fox or, you know, whatever other trade package that uh, we saw out there that we were so desperate for him to take. He waited he had his eyes on the prize of James Harden, and it got done. And so I would say kudos to, to Daryl Morey. Um, that's that's why the Sixers go after a guy like that is so that they can they can convince uh, a star, a superstar like James Harden to come to their team. And um, I really don't think without Daryl Morey, I really don't think that this happens. And I think that they would have been lucky to get someone like McCollum um, without him so just it shows the impact uh of a guy like Morey. yeah I think an, another huge kudos goes to Morey and the fact that they didn't have to give up Tyrese Maxey or Matisse Thibel to get this deal done um I was almost dead certain that one of those two pieces were gonna have to be moved to get that to happen he was able to get him to walk off and accept that package with the draft capital so good on him for making the sacrifice i will say my my definite expectation now is that philly's time to win a title they have this season and next season if they don't win a championship this is a this is a failure at that point um but yeah this was a a great move by both teams but really I, i love what the sixers have done now when you look at this projected starting lineup of tyrese maxey james harden Danny Green, Tobias Harris, and Joel Embiid. I mean, what is, I, the production level of that lineup is about to skyrocket. I mean, one thing I saw, but you know, that really stuck out to me was Terrence Maxey was leading this team in assists at about five a game. James Harden is averaging ten a game. So, just looking at that, how do you, how do you feel that's going to impact maybe the whole roster, maybe just Joel Embiid? Like, how do you envision this working? Yeah, I think that's a great point because Embiid had a ton of production, but he was kind of asked to do a lot on his own. And, and like you said, Maxi was leading this team in assists with about five. 
Well, now they add James Harden, who was second in the league last year in assists, uh, a guy that's averaged over 10 assists for the last few seasons in a row. Um, and, and I just think Joel Embiid is going to be able to thrive off of that. We've seen James Harden play with other superstars like Chris Paul, and you think, how is that going to work? You know, both those guys are in the backcourt. Are they going to take turns? They kind of did take turns, but it kind of worked out fantastic. And and that team was able to, like, actually compete. And if they were healthy, like, I think they would have given the Warriors some fits. So, um, yeah, I just, I, I think it is going to work out. James Harden has the ability to, to make other people better. Um, I think that some of the reputation James Harden gets is, like, is so inaccurate. Um, I mean, I think he's, like, an excellent facilitator. I think he's, like pretty decent defensively when he tries um he's a guy that has led the league in steals per game so um yeah i i think that that's going to be great for Embiid and the fact that Embiid doesn't have to do every single thing on his own and i also like the idea that Embiid doesn't have to play on the perimeter as much and can maybe go uh, a little more down low because with a guy like ben simmons on the team you kind of you know, you, we know what that looks like as far as spacing goes. Um, and so I think that's, that's going to be good for Embiid. And Harden was frustrated with the spacing uh, of all of the, I'll say, backups in, uh, in Brooklyn. And so I think Harden is also going to be happy that teams are going to respect Joel Embiid, and that'll probably give him some space. I think James Harden and Daryl Morey are kind of the – the creators of the the uh, space and pace and you know the the five out everyone clear out and give me space um so yeah i i just think that this is gonna be great for both players this is this is gonna be excellent and i i it's hard to even imagine joel Embiid's production going up um but that's what happens when you play with harden yeah, uh, and I think the other thing I, I really love, because you kind of mentioned this, it felt like Embiid was getting asked to do too much. I think especially come playoff time with the lack of, and I, I don't want to say lack, but the less energy he's going to have to expend to get to his spots on the offensive end, it's just going to benefit them defensively so much more as well. Uh, I, I already said that my expectations are they need to win a title either this year or next year. Um Kyle, do you think that's probably the the reasonable expectation, or um, you know where where do you think this team should ex- expect? I mean, this feels like a win now trade, obviously. Yeah, I, I think so too. And and really, this has been a pretty long process, if you will, <laughs> um, with the whole being bad forever, getting a beat, getting in all these picks and stuff. But this is the third iteration of this team that we've seen, if not the fourth. I mean, we, we saw the Jimmy Butler, J.J. Redick team. Um, we saw the team in the Eastern Conference semifinals last year. Now we're seeing this iteration of the team, right? We, we saw that Al Horford team. Um, we, we've just seen a lot of cracks at it, and I, you just don't get that many chances at it. So um, I think that this is the one that they really have to try and, and win a chip with. Um, Unfortunately, James Harden and Doc Rivers uh, haven't had a great track record as of recent in the playoffs, so hopefully um, they can they can break that spell. But um, uh, we've seen we've seen the Sixers have some success. I mean, they lost to the Raptors on the shot, and um, you know if it wasn't for that, where did the Raptor or where did the Sixers end up? Who knows? Um, so, yeah, I, I think that this team has a, a win-now team, win-now roster. Um, and I think that that's kind of always been Daryl Morey's approach at it is I'm going to get two superstars, no matter – don't worry about anything else. I'm going to get two superstars, the best players I can get, and we're going to try and compete for a title. And uh, I think that that's what we're going to see uh, this postseason. Now let me ask you this, just to play devil's advocate. How does this go wrong? Uh, so I would say that Daryl Morey's flaws is that he doesn't think about chemistry and how people <laughs> could play together. Or, yeah. I mean, seriously, right? He he brought in James Harden and um, he brought in Chris Paul and it was like, ah, is this going to work? 
And then he brings in Russell Westbrook. Eh, is it going to work? Um, and so he doesn't really consider fit as much. I don't see there being an issue with fit, but, um, I mean, at the end of the day, like, I think fit is a real thing. So there's always the chance that it just doesn't work out. Uh, these players don't, don't gel together, um, like can't get on the same page, stuff like that. But I would say the only other thing is Joel Embiid doesn't stay healthy. Um, that's, that's it, man. If Joel Embiid's healthy, if they're on the same page, I think they have, I think they have a good shot uh, of competing on any given night. Cool, cool. Well, then let's shift over to the other side of this trade now. So Brooklyn. They're rid of James Harden after he informally said he wanted to trade. Who really knows that that whole saga was a, a trip. But they now have Ben Simmons. They have a retooled big three now um, of KD, Kyrie, and Ben Simmons. They're also bringing in Seth Curry, who's going to provide a, a much-needed boost on the three-point shooting, especially with Joe Harris missing time right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they get Deion... Or, not DeAndre, I'm sorry, Andre Drummond come in for either some backup or starting center minutes. I I, I don't really know how I'm projecting their rotation at the moment. Um, how do you feel about this Brooklyn, the Brooklyn side of things? Do you see this being potentially as beneficial for Brooklyn as it could be for Philadelphia? I do. I, I know that they had to give up a lot. I think you know, Harden's the best player in the trade, so that's it's always tough when you give up the best player in the trade. But also, KD, Kyrie, and Harden, they only played 16 games together total. Yeah. And so it, it seems like that experiment um, just wasn't working out, unfortunately, because of Kyrie not getting vaccinated, KD goes down, um, and Harden's kind of just a lone person that says, you know what, I'm not doing it. So um, I think in that sense, it, it's a good thing for the Nets. I actually think that the haul the Nets got was fantastic. Because the moment that... The moment that Harden said that he wanted to be in Philly, and it, you know, like like you alluded to, he kind of said it, kind of didn't say it directly. I think we're gonna look back on this. I know I will. And Harden asked for the trade, right? He wanted out. That's how. That's how I'm gonna remember this. Um, but Philly had there was like a path that Philly had to get Harden in the off season, um, and that would just leave the Nets with nothing. And the Nets had a hole. Uh, you know, for a big man, ever since Jared Allen left, they tried Claxton, they've tried DeAndre Jordan, they've tried uh, Aldridge, they've tried Blake Griffin, and none of them have really got it done to the level that they've expected or have wanted. And that's where I think Simmons fits in perfectly with this team. I think that ideally I would love to see him play like a Draymond Green role where he can kind of be a big. He's a 6'10". Um, he doesn't have to handle the ball on offense. They have so many offensive options, so many shooters that Ben Simmons, you don't want to shoot. That's fantastic. We don't want you to shoot anyways. Cause I'd rather these, you know, I'd rather KD shoot the ball or Kyrie shoot the ball. Or like you said, Seth Curry, shoot the ball, Joe Harris, when he's healthy, shoot the ball. Like the, that's going to be like the best shooting team in the league with, with Ben Simmons, just facilitating to them. So um, as long as he can knock down his free throws, I think he's going to be fine offensively. And then defensively, he's a top five defender in the league, and and he ain't four, he ain't five, he probably not three. Like he, he's he's a top dude in the league for sure. He can guard one through five. Um, I think that he could probably, you know, slow down Giannis a little bit, and I think that he could potentially slow down Embiid. Something uh, <laughs> that could be interesting to see. So oh man. Yeah, I think that that uh, overall it's a fantastic trade for the Nets because if Harden walks and you get nothing, we start to look at this like, man, what an absolute flop. But they kind of just pivoted, retooled, and and got something that I think is a better fit for a, a clear hole that they had in their roster. So kudos to the Nets for, for kind of seizing the day. I thought, I thought it was a fantastic move for them. Yeah, and I, I kind of alluded to this when I was going through the details, but I think getting those two first-round picks is so, so big. Um, that's probably the best concession to not getting Tybal or Maxi. Also, uh, another kudos goes to Sean Marks here 
he didn't have to give up Patty Mills, uh, who was originally like a core piece that the Sixers were trying to get. So the draft picks, though, to me, this trade at large from a Brooklyn side feels like them getting a contingency plan together for if slash when Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are no longer there because we never know what either of those guys are going to do when free agency hits on their contracts or in Kyrie's case, when he's going to decide he wants to move on to the next basketball chapter in his life. I love this because Ben Simmons still has three years on his contract and you have those draft picks. You can either use those draft picks or when one of those two guys leaves, you can use one of those or both of those first round draft picks to go out and make another trade to um, to retool once again. I think this is just such a savvy move by the Nets front office. I think it puts them right back into contention, but gets them set up for the long term as well. And I feel like that's something that's not being talked about enough with this trade. That is a fantastic point, and and honestly, one that I haven't seen uh, talked about a lot. And I, I would agree with you there. Um, I think we see a lot of teams that kind of bleed themselves dry with draft picks and all this stuff. And things just happen. Things come up. There's other players that you want to get. And it's tough. Look at the Lakers. They are, like, desperate, desperate to try and get anyone. It's like, you don't have anything. You've already done it. You don't have any more assets to move. So, you know what? No one's interested in dealing with you. And that's just not where the Nets are. The Nets have potentially the most competitive team in the league. And they have assets. And and that's... That's pretty rare, so I think that's a fantastic point, Joe. I, um, those those draft picks definitely can't go uh, can't go without being told. So that's that's a good one. Yeah, um, really. I think my final thing I would ask re- regarding this trade, I kind of in the same vein as how we were feeling about the Kings Pacers trade last night. This really does feel a lot more like a win win all around. I know. In the long term, I could see this turning into the Nets fleecing the Sixers, but in the present, this definitely feels like a win-win to me. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think it's a win-win. Uh, it's it's one of those situations where it's a better fit for the Nets. It's a better fit for the Sixers. The Nets didn't really have anything in, in Harden since he wanted to leave. The Sixers didn't really have anything in Simmons since he wouldn't play. So it makes all the sense in the world. I, I, I think it's a textbook win-win, a, a blockbuster trade that just makes all the sense in the world. And that's why it's been speculated so much and so talked about. And so uh, it, it just makes sense. I think everyone was just expecting it to happen. Yeah. Um, everyone except for Woj kind of knew that this was going to happen. Yeah, and I, I'll say this too, man. I, I think one of the reasons I'm so excited about this is I'm excited to see Ben Simmons play basketball again. I, I'm rooting for this guy. Like, I think at the, at the very end of all of this, both James Harden and Ben Simmons are two dudes that are going to be in a better place mentally because of mm. this trade. So um, I'm excited to see Simmons take the court again. Uh, I think anybody who's trying to play this off as if Ben Simmons starts right away, then his mental health thing was a ruse. I think you're an idiot and need to reevaluate your views on mental health. Um, but yeah, this is, this is a great trade. I do want to say though, uh, before we get into the rest of the deadline, man, the Eastern conference now feels so loaded on so many teams I don't think I could tell you who my projected Eastern Conference champion is right now. I, I really like maybe like one day it could be the Bulls. Then the Bulls get smashed by the Sixers, so it's the Sixers, and the Sixers get smashed by the Bucks. Then it's the Bucks again. I mean, Kyle, where are you seeing this Eastern Conference shaking out come May June? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy because the Sixers get hard, and you think, oh my gosh, the Sixers they're they're gonna win the title now that they have hard. It's like, okay, well, the Nets still have KD and potentially Kyrie, and now they have a better fit and the best defensive player in the league. It's like, oh, okay, well, the Nets are definitely going to win then. Well, okay, the Bulls were number one in the East for 
quite a while this season. And if they get healthy, could they just return to number one? Okay, well, then the Bulls are going to win. Well, the Heat are currently number one in the East. And their starting five has only played like 15 games together. Yeah, so if you're currently number one, I mean, I would say by default, they're probably the team to beat. But you can't be the team to beat unless you're the defending champs. So the Bucks are the team to beat. So uh, I agree with you. I think it's really, really difficult to make heads and tails of this top five in the East. Uh, where in the West, I mean, you know that it's the Suns. You know that it's the Warriors, period. That's it. Um, I mean, this is a stacked top five that I think could go head-to-head with the Suns and the Warriors. Any five of those, really. Um, and it's it's going to be really awesome to see. This was one of my big things uh, in the preseason is I thought the Eastern Conference was going to be just absolutely loaded this year, and it was it looked good at the beginning of the year. It got a little shaky there, but right now I think I think we're seeing a extremely strong top five in the East. Uh, and and I'd be open to any argument that anyone wanted to make on who was the best team, who was the fifth best team, who was the third, second, fourth best team, whatever it is, um, put them in whatever order you want because it's it's awesome to see. It's just good basketball. Think about once we get to, like, the semifinals of the East. Like, what are we going to have, Sixers-Nets or, or Bucks-Heat? Or, like, like this? it's just going to be awesome. Are we going to see the Bulls play, like, and that's not even including the Cavs. Cavs or the Raptors. Yeah, or the Raptors. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, it's it's just awesome. This is so good for the East, and I think it just balances out these teams and, and kind of rounds them out even better. So, uh, love, love, love to see it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, let's kind of pivot now. Let's get into some more trade deadline stuff. and. Kyle, we've we saw over this trade deadline a lot of teams doing a lot of roster complete reconstruction or or blowing up like my Pacers blowing things up completely revamping the Kings totally revamping. Um, we saw, excuse me, a team like the Celtics made a lot of minor moves to open up a lot of space today um, for their roster, but I don't think any team was as effective in what they were doing. I say effective, but just going full-blown, blowing it up like the Washington Wizards did today. I mean, they had a full-blown fire cell. I mean, it was announced last night, or was it last night or a couple days ago? I forget that Bradley Beal is going to be getting season-ending surgery on his wrist. And the Wizards full-blown committed. I mean, made three trades today. I'll kind of go through all of them, and we can talk about them how you see fit. So the first one that broke was that the Wizards would be trading Montrez Harrell to the Charlotte Hornets for Ish Smith, Vernon Carey, and a second-round pick. Then uh, another trade broke that they would be sending Aaron Holiday to the Wizards, or to, sorry, Aaron Holiday to the Suns for cash considerations. And then the one that came about as close to breaking the internet as as a trade of this caliber could. The, the Wizards sent Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertrand, Bertans to the Mavericks for Kristaps Porzingis and a second-round pick. I mean, I, I texted you the total haul earlier as we were talking about this, so let's just run it through. So the Wizards' total haul out of everything they did was Porzingis, Ish Smith, Vernon Carey, two second-round picks, and cash considerations. Kyle, what stuck out to you about what the Wizards did this afternoon? <laughs> Yeah, I think you framed it perfectly. Uh, they were one of the teams that made like a huge change to who they are. You mentioned the Pacers. I, I feel like the Pacers kind of overnight, um, they went from a team that was pretty handcuffed and, and didn't have a lot of options to we have a ton of flexibility. We have young assets that we really like, and we have some good talent right now. And I would say exact same thing about Portland. Portland... Um, the Pacers and the Wizards were three teams that were kind of just middling teams for a really long time that had no flexibility, had, you know, some contracts that weren't great and not a lot of options. And just like that, the, the Wizards change it all. Um, and I think, I think you're right in saying that it, 
Beal's um, surgery is going to play a big part of that. And now you look at the guaranteed contracts for next season. The only players that they have on the books guaranteed next year, Bradley Beal, Porzingis, Kuzma, Rui Hachimura, Denny, Kispert, uh, Daniel Gafford, and, and newly acquired Vernon Carey, just out of Duke. So um, that list, I mean, I like every single player on that list. I was going to say, and, yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a good list of guaranteed contracts. And you know what? If you want to... If you want to really swing for the fences, you have Beal and Porzingis who uh, who can help you win. Now you add one more piece to it. Let's go. You can you can try and push for you know a, a seven seed maybe in the playoffs and and try and get some wins and hopefully you get hot. If Beal decides, you know what, I'm out. I want to go to the Celtics and play with Tatum or or whatever he wants to do. Okay, that's fine. We we still have Kuzma. We still have Rui who's really young we have denny we have kispert that we just drafted daniel gafford's been good like we could just be the young team then that's fine uh i i just think that a team that has had horrible contracts like the john wall contract was horrible and they got out of it and they got the russell westbrook contract which was horrible and they got out of it and they had the davis bertans contract which was horrible and they got out of it and I just say kudos to this team for just continuing to find ways to get out of these contracts, get that roster flexibility. And that's just the name of the game. It is a salary cap league. You have to make the best team with what you have available. And you only have a certain amount of money. You got whatever it is, $122 million to play with. Well, now they have options and now they can be a bit reactionary to whatever Bradley Beal wants to do. If he's out, they're fine. If he stays, they're fine. Um, so I love what they did, just like the Pacers, just like the Blazers. They gave themselves options, and fantastic job by them. I know that they're they're not going to be great the rest of the year. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. Good, good job by them. Yeah, I, I would actually almost say this really does feel exactly – how I felt about what the Blazers did yesterday. You know, I say yep. this is Blazers East where you look at the trades by themselves. You're like, uh, and then you look at everything as the dust settles and you go, wait a second. Now the, just the sum is greater than the parts um, on this one. But I think if there is one trade that I absolutely love out of this, it is Montrez Harrell going to Charlotte. I know we're talking about the wizards, but Man, does that fill a need for that Charlotte team and really helps them. I Right now they are in ninth in the Eastern Conference with Atlanta kind of barking at their heels. I know Atlanta's been hot since about the middle of January. Um, I think Montrez Harrell with LaMelo Ball and Miles Bridges, that is going to be a very fun time for that. Show. That Hornets team just got even more fun. Yeah. I agree, and I, I think that we've been trying uh, any big man that we can just shove in the trade machine and, and send them over to Charlotte. We've been trying to do it for a while. They've tried a few different options as far as drafting big men over there, um, and, and they've tried uh, Plumlee over there, and, and nothing's really, really stuck. And now they have Montrez, who I, I don't know if he's going to be coming off the bench and, and just be giving them those crazy, crazy spark plug minutes that he's uh, pretty famous for, or if they're going to give him a bit of a bigger role. But yeah, I see, I see that being a really good fit over there for, for an obvious uh, hole that they had as well. Yeah. Well, speaking of teams that have been completely retooling their rosters, let's go ahead. Let's shift to a team that, you know, over the last two or three years, has retooled its roster maybe more than any team ever. Your Detroit Pistons, Kyle. They've completely cleaned house and did even more house cleaning today. They were part of, the I think, the, the largest trade team-wise that we saw this trade deadline. The Pistons were part of a four-team trade with the Clippers, the Kings, and the Bucks, so I will run everything down. The Bucks received Serge Ibaka and two future second-round picks. The Kings received Dante DiVincenzo. Trey Lyles and Josh Jackson. The Clippers received Rodney Hood and Simi Ojale. And your Pistons 
end up with a guy that was linked to them for, I'd say the past, really since the season began maybe, in Marvin Bagley the third. Kyle, how how are we feeling about Marvin Bagley the third? What are your thoughts on the trade as a whole? What what do you see when you look at this trade? I see a Pistons team that has been very very interested in Marvin Bagley for quite some time. The Pistons got a call uh, about a year ago um, from Sacramento's front office, and they said, "Hey, we have Marvin Bagley. You have Sadiq Bay. Let's make a trade." The Pistons hung up the phone got on the phone today and said, hey, I know it's been a year and you want a Sadiq Bay. Best I can do is Josh Jackson and Trey Lyles. And they got it done, which I think is a fantastic counteroffer, if I do say so myself. You get the <laughs> second overall pick in the 2018 draft. Bagley, I know that he hasn't lived up to the hype. He's still only 22. He's shown some upside. And it's just another example of the Pistons taking a flyer on a highly drafted prospect that needs a change of pace um, at a no risk cost, and it's it's just like what we saw the the Pacers do with Jalen Smith. Yes, sir. <laughs> it it doesn't cost you anything. You take a crack at it. You, let's try him out for the season, and if it works, it works. And if not, who cares? We trade like a late second for it. Um, Bagley, he's not going to qualify for that starter criteria qualifying offer, so he's not going to get that fourteen point eight million dollars. He's only get, like if Detroit chooses to keep him, it's going to cost him seven million dollars next season. And for a guy with the upside like Bagley, who fits such a hole that they have in, in rebounding and and a big man, that is awesome for the Pistons. So I just think that this is a slam dunk. They give up Josh Jackson. Listen, Josh Jackson was buried behind Hamadou Diallo uh, on the depth chart of the worst team in the NBA. Josh Jackson is a a a fan favorite of the Pistons. Today is his birthday, um, which poor guy getting sent to Sacramento on his birthday, which maybe if you're leaving Detroit, but, but he's from Detroit. I mean, Pistons fans loved him. He famously called Ben Simmons a little bitch when, uh, when he was on the Pistons, he was, he was the first player on the Pistons to address the fans at little Caesars arena after they returned back from COVID, which is pretty wild. Um, because, he doesn't have the basketball pedigree for that, but th- that just shows you how much the the team liked him, the fans liked him, um, and so he he's just not a move uh, like a a, a needle moving piece. We know that he's kind of just a throw in de- depth guy. Um, so yeah, I think getting Marvin Bagley for low risk like that is fantastic. But really, I think the story is Jeremy Grant staying put. Um, I think. Everyone expected Jeremy Grant to move. And then the story comes out right after the deadline. James Edwards of The Athletic reports the Pistons were open to offers, but they weren't necessarily shopping Jeremy Grant, which I think would come as a shock to a lot of people. They received a bunch of offers from a bunch of teams. Portland showing the most interest, which we talked about in episode one of this podcast. We know that Dame wanted him on the Olympic team. We know that the Blazers had a trade exception of $20 million that could fit Jeremy Grant's contract perfectly. But Detroit was looking for two first-rounders and a player to add to their young core. Portland had those two first-rounders, but I don't think they wanted to give up. Obviously, they wouldn't want to give up an Anthony Simons, but I don't even think they wanted to give up a Nas Little as well. Um, and so it, it just didn't make sense at the time. And the Pistons said, hey, we're not in a rush to deal him. He's got a year left on his deal eligible for an extension this offseason i'm not saying that they're necessarily going to extend them but they want to see where they land in the draft and they want to see kind of what their options are um, before figuring out exactly what they want to do and and where they want to move them if they know that they're going to get a a big man or a wing or whatnot i think it's more likely that they trade them but if you know the odds aren't in their favor in the lottery and and they get a guy like maybe Jaden ivy or something like that with like the fourth pick or the fifth pick well maybe you run uh, maybe you run him at the four and and just go uh you know with with a young guard instead so um it just kind of gives the pistons a little bit of insurance by holding them until they find out what their draft position is but i i do expect jeremy grant to get traded uh on draft night but uh 
was was a little shocked that it, that it didn't happen. He he was one of the better um, better pieces still to be moved after some of these dominoes fell. So yeah, I I will say just one last bit on this trade because I think the Marvin Bagley move was by far the most important and the best move out of all of this. Yeah. Uh, I initially was rearing my head at why the Kings made this trade uh, for the players that they did because it was three guys that do not shoot the ball. Uh, something we addressed is going to be a need for this team. But as I look it over, they traded for three guys that uh, Jackson's an expiring contract. Steven Chen does an expiring contract. Uh, Trey Lyles has a team option. I would be shocked if they picked that club option up. So kudos to the Kings for turning Bagley into three expirings to free up even more cap space next summer. Um, the Bucks getting a Baca out of this, sure. Uh, and then I, the Clippers did nothing for me. But I did want to give uh, kudos to the Kings on this trade as well because I thought I thought turning uh, one, one expiring into three expiring contracts was a nice little move there uh, by Omani McNair. Um, Moving on, though, before we uh, kind of get into the home stretch of this episode, there's one more trade I wanted to hit on, Kyle. Uh, another one of your teams. I know you've been a big Raptors guy uh, this season. I uh, feel like we talk about them as if, – if I were to rank the teams that we talk about, it's our teams by default, one and two. We're always talking about those. But the Wolves. And then I would say the Raptors are probably that number four team that we talk about the most outside, you know, just in regular conversation. And – Today, the the long-awaited Goran Dragic saga conclusion happened. Goran Dragic got traded to the Spurs uh, for Thaddeus Young, Drew Eubanks, and a 2022 second-round pick. Uh, the Spurs, in return, also retwe- uh, received Dragic, who's expected to be bought out, a 2022 first-round pick that's protected. Uh, actually, two lottery-protected first-round picks, 2022 and 2023. Kyle... Just your quick thoughts on this one. I, I know it's, it's not a lot to dig into, but I, I thought this was a kind of a on the bigger side because the Dragic thing has been dragging on for it feels like two years now. Yeah, Dragic is a guy that made the All Star team just a few years back, so um, I would agree with you that it's definitely noteworthy. Um, Dragic hasn't uh, hasn't been playing. There's actually some pictures that showed up of him. Um, practicing like with some of the heat players which feels kind of bad to be honest and feels um like borderline unprofessional i'll say i I think the whole thing has been kind of weird and i don't know how much is the raptors uh, to blame or how much is Dragic to blame but practicing with players from another team like mid-season does feel kind of like wrong and kind of against competitive spirit so you don't really love to see that but I know that there are some Raptors reporters um, that have said they w- they were expecting to get a first-round pick back from Dragic, um, and they actually send out two first-round picks. But in return, they get Thad Young, who I think you could probably speak uh, speak better on than me in kind of what they're getting in Thad Young. Um, so I'm curious on what your thoughts are on them adding Thad Young. I mean, Thad Young to me is all—he's a locker room glue guy, and he—he he just provides even more hustle to that team. I think, really, what he's going to be for this Raptors team, alongside Fred Van Vliet, as uh, another guy on that—really, him, Van Vliet, and Siakam, really, because Siakam was around for that title run as well. Just some veteran presence as they make a run through the back half of the season into the playoffs, just like that guiding light. And honestly, he is a guy you just don't fuck with on the court. Um, he's going to be the first one to step if if anybody gets out of line. So um, it's just a good culture move, I think, for, for the Raptors. Um, you give away a guy that doesn't clearly want to be there to a guy that is going to fully embrace his role as like the, the sage on the team. <laughs> so yeah he that, seems like a raptors kind of guy yeah no for sure for yeah. sure um yeah i mean i think it's a it's, it's definitely a fine trade i mean i i love that young he is actually one of my favorite pacers of probably the last decade um, oh it's awesome yeah what i said that's awesome yeah no he he was such a during those uh that team that 
took the Cavs to seven games. Like he was kind of the the driving force. So I, I he's just been a really he's a well respected guy. Really everywhere he goes in the league. Yeah, but, I feel like yeah. he, he was like sneaky, like really coveted by other teams. Um, yeah, he wasn't really like I didn't feel like it was super covered. But anytime that it was talked about, it was like, yeah, like every team wants that young. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think that the two first is quite a lot. But I also think that the Raptors aren't looking to necessarily add too much more young talent. I think they're looking like they like what they got. And I think that they're ready to ready to go, ready to start competing, um, ready to get with it. So, yeah, I, I think uh, I know I mentioned this when we talked about teams that were retooling, but a team I didn't really mention that sneakily made a lot of moves this trade deadline was the Spurs. Uh, so in- interesting to see what they end up doing. I mean, they also traded away Derek White today. Um, they pulled in a fair amount of picks. I, I don't have the full total in front of me, um, but old Pop and RC getting getting things together for the future of this franchise. But um, Kyle, we've talked enough over the last two days of players that got moved, trades that were made, but we're past the deadline. Let's get into it, Kyle. What what are the moves that didn't happen that have shocked you the most? Yeah, I mean, I already talked about Jeremy Grant, but I would say the fact that the Lakers didn't make a single move uh, was shocking. And I think that just goes back to what we talked about earlier, where they just have a lack of assets. No one wants what they're selling. No one wants Russell Westbrook's multi-year deal. I know it's, it's going to be an expiring next year, but no one wants to pay him $44 million a year. No one wants to pay Taylor Horton Tucker, who can't get any minutes when you're in playoff games. He does, He's DMP'd. Why would I want a guy if my goal is to eventually be in the playoffs and try and win games? Why would any team ever want a guy that's, that you're saying, eh, he can't even get on the court, not even for one minute in a playoff game. I don't want that. I don't want that. And I think that they purposely overpaid for THT so that he was a tradable contract. He just hasn't lived up to it, and they can't afford to like get him in the games to, to try and show him off because they're playing so badly. So I think that that whole thing's been kind of a train wreck. LeBron said in the interview the other day after that Bucks game, the, the reporter asked, do you think that uh, you're on the same level as the Bucks? And he said, no. And then the reporter said, do you think that you can get on the same level as the Bucks this year? And LeBron said, no, I don't. Which is crazy. LeBron was looking at the 73-win Warriors dead in the eyes, down 3-1, and, and was telling his team, we got this, we're going to beat them. And now he's looking at a team with Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook saying, we're never going to be as good as the Bucks. This dude is beat. I think the morale is shot there and the trade deadline's over and I don't, you know, good luck in the buyout market, I guess. I don't know if I'm necessarily looking to hop on the whole LA thing. Um typically buyout candidates don't go to ninth seeds, so uh <laughs> it, it that one was shocking to me that they they couldn't make any trades, but when you think about what they were offering, it might make sense. Yeah. I, I want to ask you this. This is kind of a – I posed this on Twitter last night. Which would be more disappointing? Like, when the dust settles, will this year's Lakers team or the 2012, now this is going to be fun, Dwight, Kobe, Nash, Lakers, which will be the more disappointing team? when we look back on on them in history oh gosh that 2012 team has been so memed anytime anything like anytime that any like uh big three gets together or whatever i feel like i always see the reply underneath where they just post that uh that cover um yeah but i mean it depends it depends on what happens in the play-in tournament um okay i mean this is kind of two years in a row where they're not above a seven seed. And I really don't expect them to get past the first round two years in a row. So that's pretty disappointing to be honest. It's pretty yeah. disappointing. Yeah. What about you? Any other, uh, any other moves that 
that didn't happen that shocked you? Um, as far as like players' moves go, I, I'm a little shocked we didn't get a John Collins trade. Um, yeah, I'm also a little surprised that Harrison Barnes is still a king, but they need his shooting, so I get that one. I'm more surprised Rashawn Holmes did not get moved today. Um, I wow. thought for certain we were going to see a Rashawn Holmes trade. Um, so that that was pr- pretty shocking to me. And then as far as teams that didn't make any moves, I'm not as shocked that the Bulls didn't make any plays. I know some people are are a little surprised, but I, I personally, it makes it, they have a good thing going. I don't, uh, as someone who... Uh, watched my favorite team when they were in a position to... They were the one seed in 2013. The Pacers made that deadline day move of Evan for, uh, of Evan Turner and Andrew Bynum for Danny Granger. Sometimes those backfire. In the Pacers' case, it did. I don't think there's anything wrong with just, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, I am shocked the Knicks didn't make any moves. Um, that was probably the team I was a little most surprised about. Um, you know, not moving Kimba, Alec Burks, trying to get off the Fournier contract, even trying to flip Cam Reddish since they're not playing him. I, I don't know. It feels weird that the Knicks didn't really get involved. But um, those are probably the, the non-moves that stuck out to me. And then the moves that I'm happy didn't happen, obviously Miles Turner did not get traded. So big thumbs up on that. <laughs> yeah, I think that you hit really all the teams that I had in mind for for moves that didn't happen. Um, the Rashawn Holmes one that you said, man, that uh, that one sticks out the most. I felt you like see, that was a foregone conclusion last night. Yeah, you see, you see uh, Sabonis go in his first game, and I- I'll say he he played good. So yeah, I hope I hope Jordan's listening. I hope he's uh, he's happy with Sabonis and wishing wishing that all the best. Uh, but Rashawn Holmes goes in, get, comes out, plays four minutes, and you kind of think, did we just watch the last Rashawn Holmes minutes in Sacramento? And uh, no, I guess we didn't. He has, you know, it's a four-year contract, so maybe they try again later. I mean, there st- should still t- be teams that are interested in a guy like him at $10 million a year with, you know, he'll have three years left on his deal. Um, so it's still tradable, um, but yeah, I-, I thought for sure we'd see him be moved. Yeah. All right, Kyle. Well, before we get out of here, um, last question I would probably pose the end of the day, the winner of the 2022 NBA trade, de- trade deadline is? There are so many great candidates. There are so many great candidates. I, I want to say teams like the Wizards, the Pacers, and the Blazers for giving themselves the flexibility, but it's got to be the Sixers just based on the fact that they are a true, true title contender after the trade. And I think at the end of the day, you're trying to win a title. They weren't a title contender uh, yesterday. They are a title contender today. And, and to me, that's got to be the biggest needle that you could move for your team, um, moving up into that kind of upper, upper, upper echelon of the league. So I got to give it to the Sixers for that reason. I, I completely agree. I, I think... There's really no other answer. I think the the Sixers are the biggest winners, at least in the immediate. Maybe in the future we could say it was a team like like you mentioned already, like the Blazers, like the Wizards who cleared all that space away this trade deadline. Even the Kings could be in that conversation depending on how the Sabonis, De'Aaron, Fox partnership goes out. And maybe it could be my Pacers, but I'm not going to say that. That would be too biased of me. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. Let, let, let's say that the Sixers are off the board, and, and you have to pick a second. Who, who are you thinking uh, besides the Sixers? A- any other any other one team that would stick out? I actually think the Kings. Okay. I think I think getting that De'Aaron Fox, DeMontis Sabonis pairing could really yield some great rewards for Sacramento. Um, I think they are, and, and my only reason for saying them over the Pacers in this situation, to me at least, is that team is a, would be already a little further along their timeline uh, with with them being two kind of established 
all-star caliber players already. Sabonis really being on the brink of that superstar status. So I think I think the Kings really could walk out of this being if if the 76ers don't do anything, then the Kings. Yeah, I would agree. In the same way where the Sixers move from a good playoff team or a really good playoff team to a true, true title contender, I think that the Kings go from just a lottery team to a team that, given a full 82 games, can compete for a playoff spot. And, and just going up that notch um, does make a difference. And like we talked about with Jordan on the uh, Part 1 episode, you know, making the playoffs is important for these players. It is important for the fans. We all want to win a title. That's what it's all about. But, you know, being a playoff team is important. And so, uh, yeah, kudos to them for for putting together uh, a team that can try and compete for the playoffs. I think a lot of NBA fans forget that most of the time you don't build a title contender in one day. You have to start somewhere. And like things like what the Blazers, the Pacers, the Kings, the Wizards, the Celtics, and even the Spurs, what they have done is started that that process. I whether all those processes work out, highly unlikely, but you really can't fault what any of those teams did this trade deadline. So maybe mm-hmm. I would just say the winner in general are teams setting themselves up for success i love it potential success i love it yeah i think that the kings are trying to be the pacers and the pacers are trying to be the kings right now and and uh i think i think a lot of teams right now that you just named are on a good path yeah all right kyle well before we go no shock all over the week this week because we were pretty focused in on the trade deadline but can't get out of here without doing our church of tankathon spins let's so do it i've got mine pulled up so uh i will go ahead i'll go first tonight so let's see where we get. Number one pick. I, dude, you're take it. Lying. Your, tr- right. your Pistons are number two. All right, by the here way. we go. So good spin for both of us. You got the number one pick on mine. So ah! Pacers, Pacers number one, uh, Pistons number five. So there you I go. love this timeline. I love this yeah. timeline. All right, Kyle. Um, quick housekeeping uh, before we get out of here. No bench mob this week. So uh, if you don't see Tim and the guys on Sunday night, that is why they have they've planned to take the week off. We will be back next week for All-Star Weekend predictions, maybe some mid-season reports, going over how some of these new trade acquisitions are looking. But uh, other than that, I hope you guys have a great weekend. Kyle, what you got for the people tonight? Final score of trade deadline day Thursday only. Trades broken. Shams 11. Woj 8. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Love y'all. Thanks for listening to Shot Callers. Make sure to subscribe to the 48 Minutes Network wherever you're listening to your podcast and leave us a review if you like what you're hearing. Also, be sure to give us a follow on Twitter over at 48 Minutes Network. I'm going to stop and give you all the love.